welcome everybody to episode 42 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walter Pisick and Richard Greenfield. And um, I guess the last three um, podcasts before this, we started with Wall Street Bets. So we, we had to do it again for hopefully one last time. And, um, you know, obviously the, uh, the script has predict- predictably flipped um, in that situation. I think GameStop actually is up today a little bit. Actually, yeah, up 20%, but I think for the weeks down like 75% or something like that. And um, so we had to get that in there with the uh, with the free fall. And, and also it is Super Bowl week and Tom Petty was the halftime performer at the only Super Bowl I ever went to, which was, of course, the greatest Super Bowl ever. Giants Patriots in Arizona. What year was that, Brandon? Just to remind everyone. <laughs> I don't even remember. <laughs> but, so it made that much I of do, an impression on you, but you don't even I know, remember. No, it, it was like 07, right? The 07 Super Bowl. I really should know that. But um, Walt's the one who convinced me actually to go. We were working all together at Pally then. And I think he had gone the year before to Tampa also. Was that in Tampa? Tampa or Jacksonville? Jacksonville. Jacksonville yep. for the not Eagles. Not a great city. Yeah. Well, and not a great Super Bowl outcome for us. But we came back. But and, and then you, three years ago, you beat, that was the greatest Super Bowl ever. I think that was not rankings. the greatest Super Bowl. Yeah, ever. and you're looking at the greatest Super Bowl play ever, Philly Philly. No, no, come on, the catch. The Philly, come the, on, the, the catch the versus catches. the Philly Philly. Dude, no, come on, come on. I, I think the catch is one. better. Okay, how about this? The Philly Philly is the greatest Super Bowl play call ever, mm-hmm. but the Fine. catch Tyree is the most is insane the, catch ever. Yeah, is the greatest uh, play ever. Do you Super think Tom Bowl Brady, um, if he loses, and I, I, I don't really have a rooting interest one way or another, but if he loses, I'm sure you have a betting interest. I don't really have an interest in this one, to be honest, other than I go with tails every year. Um, but it is, um, do you think Brady will shake Mahomes' hand if he loses this game? Because he's no. been known to, to no. run off the field. and No, I think if he loses, room. he just runs off. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if there's a there's a wager on that. Is it, oh, for sure. Sports? There's yeah, a wager sure. on Tampa everything. Bay loses, will Brady actually shake the hand of the opposing quarterback, Mahomes? In this well, case? speaking of Super Bowl betting, I think I have a really good idea. I'm going to, there's like 13 or whatever different um, betting uh, sports books in New Jersey, and they all offer like $500 of free money. So yeah. I think I, I want to draw on all of them this weekend and make really out of the money Super Bowl bets. It's like funny. the, the wire like just... is a safety the first play of the Super Bowl, <laughs> like 150 that. to one. When you, so when you said that, I'm like, I'm thinking about handset subsidies in the wireless industry. But like, <laughs> the difference is, if Verizon gives me a thousand dollars to to switch over to them, I'm their customer <laughs> and their customer alone. I'm not going to have five different cell phones. But you're basically described how you can commoditize and take money from every single one of these betting apps. <laughs> That's what I, I. I mean, it and just, just kind, it just kind of occurred to me. It sounds like a great business model. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we've. <laughs> like, what the, part of the problem with the, all of these platforms 
Yes, yeah, take the $500. That's why we, we've yes. debated the importance of adding media. And I think this week during the pen earnings call, that was kind of validated. I think they said that their um, CAC in Michigan and Pennsylvania has been like well less than $200. Um, True. I mean, the, the, they are acquiring customers at an incredible rate at hmm. the lowest cost, at, at a cost that is so much below everybody else you know and they're they're you know look, they're going to launch in illinois for march madness that's going to be bonkers i think i mean it's just there is a, the barstool brand matters in this category and i think it's it's a wake-up call to the other platforms of like i think you're going to see a lot of consolidation obviously we've seen bet mgm partner yep. with the athletic but you're going to see the the sports betting companies need to be in the media space and they're going to have to do it very, very quickly. But you know what, Rich? I think Barstool is in a different place than all the other kind of media companies because they well, have they have a, a passionate audience that is going to. Well, let me let me push back, but let me push Portnoy back on you. says for better or worse, uh, as we saw with like kind of the Wall Street bets fiasco. So, so um, what if what if, what, what if Disney spun off ESPN tomorrow? And okay. merged it with FanDuel. Matter or no? Okay. You like it or don't like it? Still I think a it's, huge I brand. Think it's, I think it's okay. I don't think yeah, it's... Get excited. I, think that, I think that fervent mob type of follow followership probably is, is the more passion, valuable. The passionate this, following that will yeah, listen to whatever yeah. the leader says. Well, talking about mobs is actually a great way to segue <laughs> this is a into great our first segue slide. and and portnoy is, is involved in this so yeah so let's segue right into the first slide which is uh joe wiesenthal the stalwart a great follow on twitter tweeting gme down about 50 percent since cameron winklevoss uh told his followers to buy it as a way to hurt the suits um <laughs> Hold the walt, line. walt why don't you read winklevoss's response because it's pretty awesome um, well, Cam said, did I say it was going up? So you want to play the arbitrary timeline game? Fine. GME closed that day up $34 from when I tweeted it. Is he, is he basically implying that he dumped it at 34? I guess he's a day trader. So this was just making quick, you know, you got to know when to get in, when to get out all within hours, I guess. So, but which is it though? Then again, this gets that back to our thematic from last week, which is, are you in it for the money? Yes, probably. Or are you in it for this movement? Of like sticking it to the suits, which by the, the way, hold the line, the hold certain, the line. A certain hedge fund made seven hundred million dollars on the trade. Another one on the AMC made a, a decent. <laughs> so, so you really stuck it to this. You really stuck to the suits. And when you were holding the line at four hundred dollars on GameStop, you know, plugging this thing. I don't know what where the number. Brandon, you said the thing was up thirty percent today, but like where is it now? No, oh, I, I yeah, it's, bucks, I, like four hundred to seventy. Yeah, I don't know what's the percentage on that, but. It's yeah. Well, who cares about the percentage? You were you were plugging it to hold the line at four hundred, and it's now at seventy. I mean, this has there were there were multiple there were multiple quote thought leaders who were t were telling people hold the line, don't sell for I think their own kind of self interest <laughs> at the end of the day, and then they all wound up selling too. Kind of sad. Uh, look, th this is what we expected. This is the problem of all of this is that no one was, these were not investors. It was very these, predictable. These were people, these were people, you know, joining a, a quote unquote movement. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't this, a movement. It was 
Well, what, what's also make a predictable buck, is, and then people predict- panicked when they were losing. Pre- what's also predictable is that everyone said it was predictable at the time. Not everyone, <laughs> but many people. And then when it happened, what's predictable is like, what do you mean? Like, it's not my fault. <laughs> like, I'm not going to take responsibility for buying this stock at four hundred dollars. It's you know, blame it on Robinhood or blame it on this. Or bl- meanwhile, again, it takes how long does it take to set up a Fidelity account? About an hour to set up a Fido account. So. Lots of conversations on Clubhouse uh, over the last few weeks. We've certainly mentioned on this podcast, but Brandon, I've now stayed up till 2.30 in the morning twice in the past week, which I can't remember the last time I stayed up till 2.30 in the morning uh, listening to my cell phone, not even like reading my cell phone, but listening to my cell phone. Why don't you explain to everyone why we've done that over the last week? Well, I mean, it's the very specific reasons for those two were because you had two major guests drop in to Sri Ram's show, Good Time, which I think we also mentioned last week. One was Elon Musk, which this tweet is about. And last night, Zuck popped in. I don't even know what time that was. I texted you. I think it was like 1 a.m. Just after one. It was just after one. Um. But yeah, Clubhouse is starting to blow up. Sri Ram's good time has really um, led a lot of it. And clearly he and A16Z have been able to get these guests to come on and help kind of um, seed the platform. But I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of skepticism about Clubhouse. I actually think it's a very, very interesting platform. I think that it's, it does generate the most notifications of any app in my it, phone <laughs> since I actually since I got a cell phone. It generates the most. Well, you, you could you could dial those up and and dial those down, right? It does remind me though. Of what was that Evan Spiegel quote where where we got in trouble, Brandon? Where was our uh, hot mic episode? That was it was all related to sort of you know Gro- growth drive- hacking. Yeah, I mean, isn't <laughs> Clubhouse no, the has, ultimate in growth hacking? No, there there definitely has been a growth hacking element to it so far, but it's a really fucking interesting platform, Rich. I think there's a spontaneity to it that you can, you don't really get anywhere else where people are just, I know some of these were planned, but people are dropping in, having unplanned conversations um, if you're doing a podcast, you don't get that. Everything is like planned out and produced, even if it's like kind of a discussion type podcast. Um, I think that uh, it's it's a purpose driven place where people are going for a live experience, which lends itself to more of an event feel. But let me just stop you there, because when it started and we were both pretty early in the platform, sort of fighting our all all of us fighting our way in um, to get into the velvet rope, which is no longer a velvet rope. And it sounds like they're going to completely open it shortly. I didn't have to fight to get my way in, Rich. (laughs) You're just special. I know. You're awesome. No, I understand. We had to fight a little bit harder. Um, But when it started, Brandon. It was really interesting because it'd be like 20 people discussing a topic in a room and people would basically be pulled in and up on stage and thrown back out of stage. And it was very, very interactive. And what it seems like it's turned into is sort of for a pandemic, it's turned into the new conference space. So like five people on a stage talking about a topic and it's instead of going to a conference and watching them, 
you're listening to them, which Rich, is cool because there's no conferences. I, I no, honestly, I think that's a very good use case of it. But I think that there's so many other use uh, other use cases. You're talking about the rooms that have been bigger because you've come on for Elon and come on um, for Mark. But I'll give you examples. What if I have an interest in something you guys can make fun of me? I'll talk about Fish, the band, right? Fish plays a show. After the show, people who were at the show want to discuss what happened at the show. They do it on Clubhouse. That is a use case that is far different than what you're describing. It's sort of so what there's going to be both, I think, big conversations that are more conference like and then other conversations that are smaller group conversations. How is it different than WFAN? How is what's the difference? Because WF they they talk about the Mets game after the Mets game and people call in and they debate one after another what happened during the game and who sucked and who was awesome and like it feels like sports talk radio. But this is better because it's spontaneous and unplanned and anyone can start a room well, spontaneous and again the moderator chooses who who they lift up there and frankly the rooms that i've seen are not like what you're describing at all it isn't exactly what rich is saying where it's five people that dominate it and maybe they pop someone up like a like a sports talk show host brings someone up it's not spontaneous where someone's coming in and out there's very like Vla- Vlad like, oh. did not. Vlad was not spontaneously brought on stage. Well, the, those the those were uh, those were obviously like a growth hack in a sixteen Z growth hack. But uh, look, I'm not faulting. The, um, it. I'm what I'm saying, saying is like, there are a lot of different use cases, Rich, and that go beyond um, the the two, which, by the way, are very distinct and different use cases that you just brought up. And a conference has to get planned in advance, right? They can't just, what I mean by spontaneity is you can't just kind of decide, okay, I want to have a discussion now about X and have that conference format. You would have to like send out invites. And and look, last night there was a, I joined a room that Michael Rapino, this CEO of Live Nation was in. He actually wasn't on stage. He was actually just listening and it and was all about live events with a bunch of industry, you know, talent agents and booking agents. And it, it was an interesting discussion for sure. Um, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, and look, I guess there's lots of brands. If I was sitting there as a brand, would I like to sponsor these rooms on a certain topic? Sure. I, I guess I'd be very worried as a brand about brand safety because you have no idea. You have no control over what's going to get said and but it, the concept of you there's have greater but there's greater control there than other social platforms because at least at this moment there's not a lot of fake people there right first at first it, you have to kind of get invited in but even if you're however they're, they're adding people in it's a connection to a real twitter account like i haven't seen yep. any kind of fake people there and that i think obviously not like it's like linkedin but i mean it's it's certainly is going to provide for a more stable conversation than maybe what would exist on Twitter or, or um, parlor or other places that people are going in anonymously. The, the part I'm having trouble with is you have to be there live. And it seems like so much of what we're learning about the web is about not being live. You know, the reason Netflix has been so successful is that you don't have to watch at eight o'clock on Thursday. Yeah, but you can what watch whatever you I want. Actually, Football games. Exactly. I actually love the fact that it's live because maybe I go there and I have been doing this um, 
as a destination. And I kind of like I did with TV back in the day, kind of browse, you browse, find something I'm interested in. And maybe I'm not in the same filter bubble that I'm in in, on in Twitter, where I'm kind of like going through the same accounts all the time, having the same discussions about media and the bands I like and sports, but actually learning and participating in different stuff. So I like that aspect to it. And um, I mean, look, there's a lot of people brought- browsing because you just had Elon on and Zook just dropped in. So I think we're, we're I'm not going to say peak, but let's just say the interest level has been um, <laughs> increased immensely by two very, very famous people, billionaires, richest people in the world yeah, <laughs> that dude. appeared on the platform. So, you know, you're seeing Rapino, you, John Ledger's on there, Marcelo Claret's on there. Like, but John Ledger check, was watching. Let's check back watching. in a month. Listening to the millionaire matchmaker last right, night. Why are you like outing him on what he's, what he's watching? <laughs> I well, forgot what you, happens you, on Clubhouse you, stays on Clubhouse. Yeah, do you mean to oh, log in, do all the stuff that you're that you log into <laughs> and bring them up on the podcast next week? I mean, Jesus. John, I am very, very sorry. But w- one thing on monetization, Rich, you talked about brand sponsorship. I think that there's going to be more of sort of a, a micro payment. Um, or subscription aspect to this also, where you can tip those who are kind of leading discussions, or you can pay for a discrete discussion to be a part of. For what ones is live, that aren't what is live nation generating sponsorship? Oh, in, in EBITDA, like, I don't know, 200 something million. Okay. Well, there you go. That's a pretty big, I mean, I'm just saying like, just as a starting point, at a hundred million dollar valuation, but, but honestly, the and that's the least expensive way. A, there's a lot of ways to monetize. Is my point. When are it's we getting not, a sponsor for our podcast? By the way, uh-huh. we've we asked. really have a we should have a spot podcast sponsor. Look, I'm other, just the, saying. The other thing, just one more topic on this. Sorry, but I mean, fast okay. follow. Fast I have follow. a lot of other thoughts on it, but I'm not fast follow. Fast follow is a thing, right? Snap, like Instagram followed Snap and. There's countless other examples. So um, I, I remember the early days before I forget what the there was. A, there was you guys went down to that South by Southwest, and there was some company that was doing something. Meerkat. This is Meerkat, Meerkat. and Meerkat got like crushed in like a matter Yevo of a week. before that. Yeah, yeah. So like the other thing is, is this maybe it, they've identified something, but is the fast follow by the larger platforms going to squash them? I think the fact that this is purpose driven, though, actually separates it and i think there there's also kind of a lot of um uh, power behind making this platform succeed there's a lot it's, of power it's, behind it is other inter- social platforms as it well is it's not like there's the only one power vertical no, of people to- to- totally understand it is interesting though i was thinking about the fact that zuck dropped in last night it because is Zuck going to just go and copy this like he copies everything else, even though he's helping? He helped well, come in. It's so innovative. It Why wouldn't he? It, it would be a fast or, or, for any social platform to just, you know, come in and do it and squash them. Twitter, <laughs> well, Twitter makes the most sense. Yeah. Sure. I mean, why doesn't I mean, one of these companies could buy this for a billion dollars tomorrow? No, they couldn't. Okay. They just do an around at a billion. <laughs> Two billion, whatever uh, for these companies. Five it's billion. a meaningless number. Yeah, I'm just making uh, up a I number. Mean, 
F- I mean, Facebook they paid a billion bought, for Instagram, and what was Instagram at the time? If, Nothing. No, it, of course. They bought if seventeen they billion for WhatsApp. Sell. Yeah. If they want to sell, yeah. Okay, so let's then, let's then, let's on, move on, on to something on, that. It, no, 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 no. Let's okay. contain this for one second. Okay. Because this gets the whole antitrust stuff, which is like, and if they don't want to sell, then they just create something to try and squash them <laughs> and force them to want to sell. I mean, that will be the that will be the playbook, right? I and, mean, they do. If you think about it, there's how many people on Facebook every single day. If like, what would stop Facebook from creating an audio first product? that replicated this where you're already they, have all your information and real identity and already have group. I mean, groups already exist on Facebook. Like what you yeah. just described on fish, like, you know, moms who like Peloton it's on it, Long Island already exist. Very, but it's not a sort of purpose driven platform. I think the audio, so, compo- nor is Instagram the audio stories. component to it, right. Is, is actually unique. I think it's more intimate. I think a discussion is a lot different than a message board. Sure. How about if Apple's 1 billion active iPhone users drops an app, an Apple app that is an audio app? Sure. That might be harder. A purpose-driven uh, app. Uh, 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 honestly, that all could happen. I think that's kind of the risk for any startup that succeeds these days. It's something I remember. I remember talking, speaking of Meerkat to Ben Rubin about it. Remember, Rich? And look, the hold on. The counterbalance to all of this is Snapchat got copied by Facebook, and both companies are doing great, right? Like, so just because somebody copies it doesn't mean that the original platform is going to die. I'm saying it the opposite, which is that replication is the like imitation is the sincerest form of flattery replication shows you whether it's potentially good or bad like these they they are fast follows right Sp- speaking of replication is a great way to segue in so you know patreon's been the leader in creating sort of and we've talked about this on the podcast a few times they've been the leader in kind of enabling podcasters to monetize through subscriptions so like my daughter loves the morning toast it's a you know a talk show every single day and she pays for the premium subscription she gets the free stuff on apple itunes but then she pays patreon to have access to essentially their fan club uh, joe budden actually left spotify he's joining patreon he's becoming the head of uh, creator equity but what's interesting about this is Apple's about to launch the same thing, we believe, essentially a fast follow to, to Walt's earlier point. Yep. And on top of it, we heard just yesterday, Daniel Eck from Spotify essentially arguing very, very clearly that they're going to have a subscription business, an advertising business, and this quote unquote a la carte business, which I presume is exactly what Patreon is, which is a la carte subscriptions to podcasters. I don't know how fast it happens, Brandon, but it seems like everyone is trying to copy this model now. Yeah, I think it's it's something that the bigger creators want because Jack Conti built the built the company platform to allow them to have much more freedom, kind of make their own rules, do whatever they want, and um, and were you part of the fish fan and club? Really? Up? <laughs> no, no, seriously. And, no, I was not. And control their own destiny. By the way, Joe Budden and Jack Conti were on Clubhouse last night discussing this just um just just for the record 
but I actually think it's it's interesting vis-a-vis Spotify, and I've been thinking a lot about this. Their whole plan for podcasts is exclusivity, right? And so sure. instead of writing big checks for exclusivity, if there's a way for the creators that they're bringing on to discreetly monetize um, in, in addition to sort of bringing more um, ears and subscribers onto onto Spotify, they, they actually share in the revenue instead of it becoming a cost center. So it actually could be margin accretive for Spotify if well, things I, go in this direction. Although I what, do what, think there could be sort of a battle over splits. Like yeah, but, but, but think about bottom. it. But, but who hold cares? On. Well, no, but, but hold on. Why should Cardi B have to leave Spotify? Not leave, but why should she have to go set up an OnlyFans to create a subscription at five or $10 a month there's no reason why that incremental business, whether it's on Patreon or whether I mean, I don't think this is just about podcasts. No, I'm just I'm just talking to, um, distinctly about podcasts. Yeah, but I think this is far bigger than podcasts. Like, I think it's, hey, let's create fan clubs. It's happening on OnlyFans. It's oh, yeah. Happening no, on no, no, Patreon. No. Like, it, why don't we just create fan clubs, subscription fan clubs? We already have the users. We already have all the content. Why don't we have subscriptions? to effectively all types of fan clubs. Maybe it's merch. Maybe it's, you know, who knows what it is. It's not just, it's not just fan club stuff, but say, I don't know, Cardi B wants to do a one-off and she can, and she can digitally ticket it. There's just, there's many, many ways right now for those with large followings to be able to make a living without kind of going through I'll say the man quote the man since we're on the whole Wall Street bets thing. Yeah, it, it, it this kind of goes back though to what Walt was saying. I mean, look at Cameo, right? Sure, but but let's go back to Walt's think comment on the last thing. Like essentially, what you just said is a Cardi B ticketed event. Like that sort of feels in some ways like a clubhouse type event, like an event that's audio based that you sell tickets for. Like it's all sort of. There's not a lot of barriers to entry to all of this, right? The concept of what Clubhouse is doing is obviously fascinating. I think the question is going to be, how does it manifest? You you see creators going. It's an aggregation thing. Right. The question is, is it going to be the is it going to be the audio platform that builds out this business or is it going to be subscription platforms, whether it's Spotify or Apple or OnlyFans or Patreon? Do they build the content pieces into it like which way does it go and i'm not all, exactly all sure of the yet. above i mean look is spotify you're saying is spotify gonna go and start a clubhouse within spotify for artists they could they could they could do something like that why not and at the on the same if clubhouse aggregates a huge audience that comes on a daily basis to their platform if they if they want to expand concerts they they could easily, well, even beyond that, and we could get into like virtual concerts and all that crap later. Um, but they they easily can um, c- could uh, bring podcasts to their platform. Why not? And then it's like that's where you go for all your kind of talk. Can you read this tweet, Brandon? Probably not because I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. But <laughs> you're going to try scoop with at Priasidius Priasidus on Monday, the day before he was named CEO of Amazon, 
Andy Jassy sent an email to staff reacting to Bloomberg's story and reaffirming his commitment to video games. As Google exits game development, Amazon's new boss is all in. Okay, so a couple of things here. Um, Hold on. Is Amazon in the games business? Yes. I've Amazon, never, played an, Amazon, no, I've never Amazon, played an Amazon game. There's been Amazon Game Studios for a while. Everything that they've put out has kind of failed. Um, similarly, can you name a game? Wait, wait. Can you name a game? No, no. Top I, of your head. No, I. Exactly. That's it. So I, that's, forget, that's I actually the forget the name. The names no, no, of but, the games. But you that live in. Released. But you live in the games world, and you can't name yeah. the game off the top of your head. That's a problem. No, I can't. And that, by the way, goes to show we've discussed this so many times that you can't just in video games. You can't just like decide you want to enter the space and start building games like you can. Um, in video just by hiring the right people. It takes years to, to get a, a studio going. <clears throat> and we've seen that Amazon hasn't been able to succeed at it. And now Jade Raymond left Google this week and they're kind of abandoning their studio plans. We've said all along, we think in the current incantation of, of gaming for those companies, to succeed and seed their cloud gaming platforms, they're probably going to have to do acquisitions. And I think that's playing out. Now with Amazon, I think it's different. I think they're taking a much longer term view on this because like everyone thinks of cloud gaming now as being the same thing as what we get on console, only in the cloud with instant on. But all that extra oh, for, computing for power can lead to totally different experiences that aren't possible now. And we've seen, I guess, one of them with Rival Peak, um, which is on Facebook, happen now, where you have a situation where you have NPCs, but the audience is influencing the outcome and working together. And it's an always on 24 seven, very scaled game. So brand new experiences and Amazon owns the cloud so they can have, a, they have unique abilities to, to, pu to push gaming in new directions. It's just amazing. They own Twitch. They've seen Fortnite explode. They've seen, Roblox explode. They've seen uh, Animal Crossing explode, and it's just it's just sort of amazing that Amazon, despite all of this, you know, focus and all of this, you know, all of their cloud resources, and to that quote, wanting to be in the game space. But the other part of it is, look at the video space. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on the video space too, and you know, look, The Boys has been good. Mrs. Maisel's a smaller show, like. They haven't exactly had massive success on the video side either, despite a lot of spending. Uh, you know, I, they have big ambitions in media. We actually think they're going to be a bidder on, you know, on Thursday Night Football. But like we're all waiting for sort of Amazon to really become a, a, a you know, a major player in, the, in any of the media categories. Certainly music, Amazon music has not crushed it so far. They're getting into podcasts, no. but but it's hard to find. I mean, Twitch is obviously a, a great business. And exciting, but in terms of actually the content side of it, whether it's gaming, that was an acquisition, though. Yeah, they haven't really executed. I mean, I wouldn't say they're failing, but they certainly haven't executed top of market uh, the way others have. Compared to the well, compared to the single, singularly focused Netflix, 
which also goes back to kind of the club or Spotify or Spotify. I'm sorry, Walt, what were you going to say? So aside from the content, um, it, it, maybe I'm um, imagining this, but it doesn't seem like the interface has really changed that much on prime video as well. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's actually, it, it doesn't evolve at all. Really? Yeah. <laughs> right. And look, it, we've talked to Netflix about this, right? I mean, technology is, is a big part of things in terms of, of getting engagement. And it's just, you know, to your point, they're not focused on it, but like, okay, it's a big company. Like they can walk and chew gum at the same time. They employ thousands of people. Like why can't there be the head of, of Amazon um, media that gets this right? Cause you're right. It just doesn't, you know, cross the well, board. And I think what no one's paying attention to, and I think they're going to start to wake up to it, Walt, is Apple. I mean, the Apple movie slate that is being built for the next two years is going to blow people's minds. I mean, I think if you look at like what they are aggregating in terms of talent, it's happening quietly behind the scenes. Like, I don't think it's getting a lot of headlines, but if you start assembling what's coming later 21 throughout 22, the Apple movie slate, which is going to be short theatrical window and then you know, released onto Apple TV plus people are going to be shocked. And I think if you just compare Apple's sort of qualitative success in its first year relative to, you know, Amazon over multiple years, it's, it's really a stunning difference. And, and again, not to belabor the point, but that interface, which you guys both, I recall used to shit on has improved immensely in terms of, it has, you know, that, and look, services and the growth accelerated in that line when they just reported the quarter. They're also trying to get people into fitness. I've been using the Fitness Plus. Um, it compares. To, I've used. I used to use an, a thing called Aptive, which they charge you about a hundred bucks a month um, for the year. It's Apple's already having a much better product, and they're just trying to wrap you into their overall services bundle. Something that you know we were noticing deceleration for a year, and now it's it's has reaccelerated. So. But tying this back to the beginning of the discussion, the things that you guys just mentioned, especially video, again, are businesses that you can kind of start on the fly and kind get to scale within a year or two years. Um, with video games, it's just very different. Game development times are long, and it's a very hard process. And clearly challenging based on what happened to that <clears throat> Polish company that had the big you know, <laughs> super fail. What was the name of that game? CD project. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. Okay. Walt, why don't you read this one? Cause uh, this one made me laugh. This is from public knowledge. Um, they said today Comcast announced an increase in speeds for internet essential customers, 50 download five upload. Um, the current FCC broadband standard is 25 down and three up and clearly not adequate for connectivity. It's time for the FCC to raise the benchmark speed. So, don't disagree with you, um, uh, PK, or public knowledge on that they have to increase it. But the question, though, is, is five really enough on the uplink? And and the genesis of this... Wait, hold uh, on. Is 50 enough on the download if you have more than one person in your household? I mean, if you're really doing what we're doing right now, Zooming, you know, like, do you really... Is 50 really enough if you have a couple people in a household? I think probably 50 yes. enough Probably yes, but uh, who knows? Like, you're right. It, sometimes you need to over-provision because when you your stated 50 is not really 50, it's the over-provision that's, shared 50. Yes, um, that's what I'm But look, at. the genesis of this... Depends which, if you're cloud gaming in 4K. Correct. <laughs> but the cloud... It's interesting you say that, Brandon, because it the cloud gaming, a youth 
well, I shouldn't say youth because I'm obviously you know, a youth, a millennial, a youth, youth. two youths, <laughs> a youth, two youth, the two youths are gaming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was the, the genesis of this was um, complaints about kids at at home, um, and like Zoom is is it was a problem. Like Rich had this issue using his cable operator service provider where you had three megabits or whatever was the uplink. It's just not enough for Zoom. Um, right. Apple's another one, by the way, like using those shitty Intel chips that all these kids, Mac Air, you know, laptops are like, you know, like the fan is cranking on because it couldn't handle the Zoom processing. So it's been like driven. Thankfully, everybody. those are going away. They're going you know, away. I just bought, I just bought the M1 place. chip. I, my M1 chip I have one. MacBook Pro is coming this week. So it's but we digress. The, the issue here is Comcast, you know, increasing to, to address those complaints. But the question is, is five really enough? Um, and again, this speaks to the broader, longer term competitive issues that like can 5G competitive be competitive over the long term. And if a 5G signal can get into your house again, not this year, not next year, three years down the road, because they're using 100 megahertz of spectrum. You know, that's another thing to think about in terms of the competitive marketplace and home broadband. Uh, I think, you know, my guess is 100 or, you know, very quickly, we're going to realize 140 or 100. I mean, certainly 125 is going to be just what is essentially table stakes. If you look at everything that's coming down the pipe in, in terms of content and services and connectivity. And the, the reason I raise the sort of even 50, not enough, like if you and certainly five, this, five is this absurd. Is an essential, but this is an essentials program, Rich. And, and we have to consider what this market is. It's it's. It's there's a lot of um, children they they don't have any broadband at home and they're having to go to public libraries and whatever. Uh, uh, okay, it is. It's, a, it's a low price plan that. So, so let's have the bigger getting. debate. So let's have the bigger debate here for a second and just step back. We're definitely going to get net neutrality over the course of the next twelve months. I think we all believe that the Democrats will reimpose some form of net neutrality as the FCC all gets seated. The question is, you know, if we all believe that internet service is now. A, an essential service for every home in America, and it's only become more important. How worried should we actually be about rate regulation when we're seeing, you know, or even speed regulation like we're seeing, you know, given this question? I mean, I think that's sort of one of the debates we're going to see rise up over the course of the next six months. If, you well, know, we should it, worry because we should worry not because of the, the impact it could have, have on the cable operators, EBITDA. We should worry because rate regulation is not an effective way to get internet to a lot of people. Competition is. So, the, so how do we concern, enable more competition? Well, again, we have 5G that's 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 getting built out. Um, there's in, there's things that you can do in terms of, of opening up how easy it is to build out in, in some of these new markets. And I think one of the considerations that's been talked about is literally funding a build out of of, uh, of new networks. I mean, you have the RDOF, which is building out in some areas, but there's additional funding of 40 to 50 to $60 billion um, being considered to build out uh, internet services. And the, the, the DOD stuff as well? Which DOD stuff? Isn't there also Spectrum there that we were talking about that also could also play into this? I mean, Spectrum has to come from somewhere, but look, the C-band Spectrum should be enough to offer you the types of speeds that are required to, to do home broadband. Why don't we move on to Roblox? Brandon, this was actually, it's, it's, I guess this is Roblox, this is, but it, yeah, it this comes isn't from Ro Warner Music. Exactly. This is about Warner Music's investment in Roblox. So, so let's, uh, let's hit the audio. The audio is a right. little boring, but listen closely. This is Stephen Cooper, I believe, from Warner Music making the comments. Okay. With the rapidly growing gaming market, two clear trends have emerged. Games as virtual shared social spaces 
and a shift towards user-generated content. Our recently announced stake in Roblox aligns WMG with the leading platform at the intersection of both of these trends. Roblox is a metaverse of social experiences with an in-game currency, Robux, and 40 million daily active users, each on average spending more than two and a half hours per day on the platform. To me, what was most interesting about that is two and a half hours a day, which is a yeah. number that you've talked about a while before, yep. Brandon. But but the comment that Stephen makes about the shift in consumption, consumer consumption to UGC, and the, the reason I bring it up is the other platform that had explosive growth this week, mind-boggling growth. YouTube. YouTube, right? Yeah. So YouTube is, I mean, YouTube had its fastest growth in years in revenue. Despite the size, we've talked on this uh, about the impact, you know, TikTok is sort of a direct threat to, to the, you know, has many of the same kind of early feels. And despite the growth of TikTok, the growth of Snap, the growth of Facebook, all of this stuff. YouTube is having one of its biggest growth years in, in, in recent memory, certainly in a lot of years. And most of it today is still user-generated content. I mean, they've given up on professional content effectively. You know, Cobra Kai is now a Netflix show, not a YouTube show. Like, it's working as UGC. You've got Warner Music saying, we're leaning in because UGC is the growth area on with Roblox. Like, it yeah. seems like sort of that shift from professional content to UGC is just a huge theme for the whole space that none of the media stocks right now are really, uh, they're not taking into account that they're losing control because their content doesn't matter as much anymore. Yeah, I think UGC is obviously for Roblox. It's how they started. It's a very effective way to build a platform with tons and tons of different experiences, which is kind of what the metaverse is about. And it's worked. If you look, if you, anyone who has kids who are, I don't know, 18, eight to 13 years old, they basically spent all their time during the pandemic hanging out in Roblox because they couldn't hang out elsewhere. And it's become an important place for gathering and for, I don't know, self-expression. And if you think about music and what what music is in in the real world it kind of is important to building community right to building identity and self expression i mean look at our listen to our podcasts like as quote creators we pick the music every week we think about it it's important to what we do and music's woven into all of these real world experiences why won't it be woven into virtual spaces. There's a huge opportunity there. I'm just still stuck on the whole UGC point because if, you know, we're talking about Clubhouse is exploding, TikTok's exploding, Snapchat's, like every one of these platforms is exploding and there's only so many hours in a day. And so the end result has to be that legacy platforms that took up a lot of time are losing. There's just no other way around it. I mean, that's the Yes, you know, and not every eight to thirteen year old yeah. is on Roblox as well. That there are probably <laughs> no. a other eight and okay. thirteen oh, that are doing something different than Roblox. I know, but it's <laughs> the numbers are comp- absolutely bonkers, bonkers. A- absolutely staggering. And just anecdotally, any anyone I've spoken to with kids in that age group, 
or like it's like death by a thousand cuts. They're just like at the end of the month when they look at their credit card bill, the Roblox Robux are are adding up. And there's there's been real credence um, given now to to what's happening and hanging out in virtual spaces way beyond just kind of gamers doing it. I mean, a metaverse making it into a conference call in and of itself is sort of a, a notable event. I mean, I think that's the first time on a public conference call I've heard that word used. <laughs> well, Just saying. I think they'll uh, do fine on their investment at even at 30 billion. So Netflix is raising price. This is a Bloomberg tweet. Netflix uh, shares rose on news that the company's raising price of its service in Japan an increasingly important market. And, you know, a couple of things that are interesting about this. One is Netflix has been raising price all over the world. It started several months ago where they did it in um, in Australia and it's been rolling out U.S., Canada, etc. So there's no surprise. They basically said that they want to get into a cadence of every couple of years. They're raising price in every market as they add value. But I think what is particularly notable about raising price in Japan is Brandon, it wasn't so long ago, probably CES, I want to say CES two years ago, that we were sitting down and, and Japan was a tough market for Netflix. They, it was, you know, getting the content right, getting all the partnerships that, right. That's the, was, you got it. The, those are the keys to, and we've discussed India kind of ad, ad nauseum. India's not there yet, but India's that's not right. there yet, right? It's, it's about getting the right content, getting that content to scale and figuring out payments. And those things take time. It took took time in Japan. I don't even think they're all the way there yet. If if you talk to Netflix about it, there's still work to do. But clearly, there's enough confidence to start raising price, which. Well, it, it means that people like it. You've got consumer engagement, which yeah. leads, and, and you're look, happy customers who are using it don't mind price increases. There was no pushback on U.S. price increases at all literally at all. And that is a huge change because they're making people happy, yeah. which leads it's me to our next. It's easier to be in, indispensable though when everyone's stuck at home. <laughs> uh, that's fair. But but yes, but there is pricing room. But let's go to the next tweet. And I think Walt has an opinion that he'd like to share. Hmm. This is from friend of the podcast, Jason Hirshhorn. Um, <laughs> when you drop, you, you love it when I say that. Thing, PC. <laughs> I should have wore my friend of the pod t-shirt. Friend of the shed. Um, when friend you drop an episode a week, who are you placating? I added inflection for Jason, but I'm sure that's exactly how you would say who, it. Who are you placating? I don't know what Jason was talking about in this particular tweet, but it, hap- it happened to cross my, my uh, doom scroll right at a time when, when I was bitching about um, WandaVision. Because WandaVision, which is a Disney, a new Marvel Disney episode. Disney um, Plus, to be clear. I'm sorry, Disney Plus. Yeah, just- I mean these names plus whatever max there used to there is a disney channel that still exists i know disney no max one watches plus. it um <laughs> a lot of people rightly were complaining about the first three episodes not being that great but the fourth one i think really pulled people in and the early reviews from five which which hit this morning have also been good and it kind of and there was there was some chat i think i might have tweeted something about this but there was other people chatting about this on twitter like they should have just dropped the first um three if not four episodes to pull people in and it gets back to this thing that we talked about a little bit before in terms of i guess the value is is you're worried about churn and you want to keep people week to week however like you know disney's 
given what they've announced that's coming, <laughs> I mean, they're kind of getting into that Netflix category of a necessary, um, a necessary subscription for for someone to have. Again, again, to Brandon's point, particularly during a pandemic, are you doing anyone a favor um, by like stretching this stuff out? You actually risked people understanding the quality of that particular product by not dropping three episodes and letting up getting get through these oh, first okay. episodes. I obviously have strong feelings here because I'm a hundred percent in your camp. But Same. the pushback, but the pushback from again, these are from media executives who are not internet executives, right? This is coming from very same, much same argument for years. HBO, I mean <laughs> give it give them the argument, Brandon. Going back to like Bill Nelson, is that was that was that the guy's name? Is is about building water cooler talk and building anticipation and buzz around the shows. Honestly, I I think that's kind of there's so much content now that it's very hard to create that level of um, of water sustained water cooler talk. Guess what? Anymore. Guess what? Guess what it's, generated um, water cooler in my Philly accent? Um, you sound like Joe there. Water cooler. <laughs> guess what? Guess what generated some water cooler um, buzz? Lupin. Yeah, I, every episode was available from just, the get go. Yeah, and it I, wasn't even made in this fucking country. <laughs> short. It's a like now everything kind of comes in bursts because really because of Netflix is like Tiger King. Okay. That there's water cooler conversation for a month. Then it's kind of onto the next one. Well, and Bird box. I mean, there's just so many, some of them of good quality and others not. Now, now look, clearly the pandemic plays into why this chart, this is golden globe nominations by distributor. Uh, and obviously Netflix is crushing everybody else. But I do think that Walt's point, certainly on the TV network side, I do think that part of this, the ability to binge and I think the ability to sort of get lost certainly helps. I mean, obviously, they're creating more content. Um, and so that, that is certainly a part of it. But I do think that the binging ability is a significant advantage. And I think the other studios are missing out by not doing it. I mean, I just think they're not. To your point, do you really believe that more people are going to watch a show by stringing it out? And forcing people, because basically what you're forcing people to do is when Walt Pysik ends WandaVision season episode three, he's got, if he wants to do something else on TV, he's got to go to something else. Like it's a chance to go to Netflix and leave Disney Plus or go to Amazon. Like why make him leave versus why not just keep him for as long as possible, make him happy and satiate that, that trying to get you to come back a week later. God, the show's got to be amazing. First two episodes were, or the first three episodes, frankly, for WandaVision. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. Were really just a, a setup. I mean, it was just a setup for episode four. So if you left on episode two and then found some other rando thing on Netflix or HBO Max, then to your point, then maybe you're not coming back into the ecosystem. And again, it reminds just, me of it reminds me of Bloodline. I hated the first three episodes, but people said if you got to episode five, it became absolutely amazing. And then I watched three seasons. A, a lot of shows start slow. Queen's Gambit, I think, oh was, was was another one. It started yeah. really slow, and I think it actually wound up being pretty so good look, by the maybe, end. Maybe but Disney's I, argument then is like, we don't care because we know that there's enough social out there that we know that by episode four, people are going to like it, and, the, and it'll bring them back in. Look, Mandalorian certainly has not been hurt by stringing the episodes out in terms of the buzz it has overall generated and the consumption of, of the content. I guess the question would be, 
would would that show be even bigger and would forget about whether it'd be bigger? Would, well, would it viewers be happier either right. way? Because like buzz builds quickly anyway. Does it really matter whether you string it out or not? And well, and things like come in and out of consciousness so quickly now. I didn't watch the wire story. when it aired live. I'm watching. I, watched, I mean, I'm watching it right now. As, no, no, no as but, but I'm saying I didn't watch. The, I didn't watch the wire when it aired. I binged it afterwards. I didn't watch Breaking Bad live. I watched Breaking Bad afterwards. You binge Game of Thrones like because yep. you didn't watch it when and it started. I'm, like, again, I'm binging the wire I mean, right now. OK, so th- that's a it's a really good point, Brandon. But I think I guess what's different about WandaVision is it, it's in the Marvel Universe that has a very dedicated following of people that are going to be willing to go on social and talk about it when it actually gets to the good episode. There could be other series that you launch out there that don't have that dedicated base that will never get to, to, um, to the episode four. And it just, it just may miss, you know, miss out on what could be, you know, a cult favorite. Agree. So sticking with streaming, there was this stat that came out the other day. So this is Gal Gadot, the star of wonder woman. So she tweeted out a Hollywood reporter article and I'll just read, um, the, the numbers and they're from Nielsen. So like I take everything with a grain of salt. I don't usually believe Nielsen numbers, but they're usually way understated. But let's just go with them and say that we believe it. Wonder Woman 1984, 2.25 billion minutes streamed or viewed uh, in the US. You know, obviously it doesn't have a lot more information than that. But what we do know is the movie was 151 minutes long. I, so, I was just about to say that. I was like, yeah, yeah wasn't that like a tirelessly long movie not that i bothered to watch it so that so that's 15 million homes we could debate you know did every home watch the full movie maybe it's more than 15 million homes because people turned it off at halfway through because they didn't like it i don't know let's just say all everyone watched the whole movie that's 15 million homes at least touched this movie if you figure holiday time it was a christmas release Holiday week, lots of people off between Christmas and New Year's. Let's say most of the time, you know, I watched with at least three or four people. I think Walt watched with five people. Let's just say the average household viewing was three people. That's 45 million viewers. The film's also done almost 40 million in box office. So that's another four million viewers. That means 49 million people domestically in its first month of release watched Wonder Woman. I, I You know, if I'm Gal Gadot and, you know, almost 50 million people in the U S watched my content and I made good money. Meaning I think she got paid like $12 million. That seems like a pretty big win for a movie that I think all three of us thought was pretty terrible. So I don't know. I mean, I think there's I something to release. Oh, you didn't see it. I saw it. Walt saw it. And it then wasn't- you know what she could do after that. She could go on to Patreon and get them all to sign up for subscriptions or I thought she could go on Clubhouse and talk about it. Or she could go on Clubhouse oh and talk about it. <laughs> I just think there's a lot of hate that like people think like this HBO Max 17 movies direct to streaming is a disaster. And if those numbers are even close to right that I just rattled off, that doesn't sound like a disaster. That sounds like between adding subs, meaningful number of subs and getting a meaningful amount of viewership. That feels like a pretty big win for the strategy. They're not getting any credit for it yet, but it, it that definitely seems like it's working from my standpoint. The same way, if you think about the way Netflix thinks about the world, it's not always about quality of the content. It's are people watching? If people are watching, that's what the goal is, right? Get people watching. Yeah, they're always obviously worried about their 
their pocketbooks at the end of the day. But I mean, if Netflix gets bigger and HBO gets bigger and they Amazon, whatever, they all become more competitive with each other, then there's just going to be more dollars to be thrown around. Maybe if two million people it'll work out for everyone to save AMC, they should go to the theater and watch it there <laughs> as opposed to over the top. Didn't, didn't um, <laughs> Rich, didn't someone pitch us? yesterday on um a fubo long thesis yes yeah, is, is every fubo every wall street bets if, person e- is yeah up if, for ev- fubo. exactly everyone on wall street bets is going to sign up for fubo and their numbers are going to be sick uh 65 dollars a month for uh, uh you know a tv service that doesn't have march madness uh sounds like fun good luck to everyone <laughs> A, sp- a sports-driven uh, TV, sports-driven service, or no- at least marketed as as a sports-driven service, without March Madness and without almost every RSN. But they have Let's ESPN. The Super Bowl, Walt. Walt, why don't you walk us through the Super Bowl tweet from Verizon? This is not from Verizon. This is a story just talking about at Super Bowl. Oh my God! What I don't know my Roman numerals. What is that? Fifty-five. 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 I got. I think it's fifty-five. Oh wow, that's pretty good. My teachers would be so proud. At Super Bowl 55, <laughs> at Super Bowl LV, um, 5G will change will change the game. You know, every year, these wireless operators, like it's a big thing, right? Because a ton of people go to these stadiums. So they make investments in the stadiums. and Not this year. Ago, well, they did. <laughs> Actually, they did do it this year. No, <laughs> so I know, but this- not a ton of people will be there. That's true. So they're so they're making the, so they have to get some in return on their investment and to hype it up and and talking about it. there's but there's only going to be I think like twenty two thousand people in the stadium. So it's unclear kind of how this really tests five G. They they talked about how in the stadium if you have a millimeter wave phone, but like okay, how many customers are Verizon? How many customers have bought the most recent iPhone to benefit from watching seven streams of what's literally physically right in front of you? And then oddly that same functionality of seeing different streams and different angles of the game. If you're at home, like if I go back to my Verizon Fios connection where I'm getting whatever it is, 400 down and 400 up, I should have plenty of bandwidth to serve up their seven streams at 720p, but they're not giving that to me because they're like, oh, I can't, you can't handle it because you don't have 5G in your home. I'm getting, I guess, five streams. So it's just a bizarre thing, but it's just part of this, this kind of hype around the Super Bowl. And, and if you remember, Rich, years ago, we went to that when it was in New York, I think. We went to that LTE multicast and like no one's heard anything. And in subsequent years, Verizon's pitched, you know, millimeter wave as they're doing again this year. And, and obviously not much has come of it. Last year's Super at Bowl the, had 62,000 people. At the, at the end of the 000. day, Walt, it just, it feels like the whole 5G thing and the use cases for it are just being forced right now. The other interesting thing, not to be nerdy on the technology side, but you've heard me talk about small cells. You? Yes. So what the the interesting sentence <laughs> I pulled out of the Verizon press interesting to you. on this, interesting <laughs> to me, is to enable this stadium in Tampa, they're going to use hundreds of small cells within a three-mile radius. So we're talking about a company that in total is going to have 30,000, nationwide is going to have 30,000 small cells but they had to deploy hundreds of them in a three-mile radius just for this Super Bowl. So that kind of gives you this Which sense. Which no one of, will use. 
which only 22,000 fans will actually it's be a, there. It's basically a publicity. And well, those 22,000 won't, su- even, won't even No, no, but it's there. some oh, sub-segment of the 22,000. I mean, it's right. a so 30% quarter? of them and yeah, then, yeah, an even smaller subset of them because not everyone's going to have a, an iPhone 12. So like, uh, let's, let's call it a thousand fans, maybe. Yes. And then how many will actually use the application? This isn't nerdy, Walt. About it. No, this is this awesome. Is just this is funny. <laughs> no, no. It's actually funny doing the math. It's, it's actually, actually awesome. funny, even if but you what don't I'm know. To point out though, is spectrum that on, bands. No, you don't. It, this is simple numbers, Brandon. And we talked about this, I think, last week. In that, if you take the thirty thousand small cells that Verizon is is saying that they're going to have by year end, and you just calculated the coverage of it, it wouldn't even cover the state of Delaware. I don't think so. Like, I mean, so this this massive hype around millimeter wave. There's the hundreds of these cell sites are just around stadiums and like so what does that do for me when I'm driving around Westchester? Nothing. Nothing. Don't believe the hype. Sticking with live entertainment uh, of a different form, Brandon. Oh, Live Nation tweet. Heart this tweet if you want to see the weekend live on the After Hours tour in 2022. Like this tweet and you'll receive a notification when tickets are on sale. And I think tickets are on sale on Monday morning for this tour. This tour was supposed to happen, I think, this year, um, got pushed back to 2022. Those tickets had already been sold, but then they added a shit ton of tour dates now and they're putting them on sale already. But and a year I ahead of time for a tour the, is is bonkers, right? Like any historical context. I mean, it's 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 been happening more and more, but I think you're going to see a ton of this over the next several months. And we've talked about Live Nation and the liquidity situation there. And um, I think that's going to really get turned around quickly as they put a bunch of concerts on sale whether it's for later in 21 or it's in 22 which will be like the first full robust you know year of of touring i don't think this year is going to be you know fully robust um throughout the year but they're going to get sponsorship revenue on it they're going to get ticketing revenue and it's going to generate cash flow so the tide is probably going to begin to turn for live nation over the next couple of months well it's nice to actually have something to talk about that's exciting versus just focusing on balance sheet and liquidity yeah so let's talk about snapchat for a second so spotlight was something that launched and i think you know people are like oh they're just copying tiktok this doesn't matter or this is sort of a joke um they revealed last night on their earnings call and i don't want to do an earnings review in any way but they reviewed they revealed that snapchat spotlight which is if you swipe left twice you get to um you know pass discover you get to the spotlight section which is a you know essentially a tiktok like feed where they're paying people uh, basically a million dollars a day for whoever has the best spotlight video that you contribute into the spotlight feed. But Turner Novak tweets, Snapchat spotlight had over a hundred MAUs in January. hundred million. hundred million. That's a pretty <laughs> huge number for a, a product that's like two months old or a few months old. Like, that's amazing. Just a, that's amazing. How many MAUs do they have total? Well, they have over 200 million. They have over 200 million DAUs. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they do. They report MAUs off the top of my head. I don't think they report MAUs, but I don't it's think a, so. We're always focused on on the DAU number for this company. But OK, 100 out of 200 DAUs is 
pretty good. I mean, it's kind of amazing, actually. I mean, Snapchat probably has a very high DAU to MAU tie ratio, just given that it's a communication tool. You think? So maybe I, someone tests maybe someone tests out this this TikTok wannabe one yeah. day, and then they're like, "Oh, that's garbage," and then they they move on. So, like, what do you think the DAU would be for for what's it called? Reels. Well, I think a, well, no, one way called- to look at it is to create, and we brought this up a few weeks ago. The creators are getting paid on it, so there's yeah, definitely engagement. Sure. I mean, who wouldn't want to create? I mean, you know, I think it's I, I, I would not be surprised over the next few months to see Facebook roll out some way of compensating people in reels like this is definitely catching fire. People are getting excited. You know, if you think about TikTok, we were on the, the TikTok did a for you event this week called the for you summit. And they were talking about don't create content like they were telling brands, do not create your own ads and upload it. Find a creator work with a creator. That is the best way for your brand to get visibility. And they were talking about Cheerios. They were talking about American Eagle. They were going brand by brand of just like more and more case studies of like work with creators. And so creators making money, Snapchat's paying the creators. You you know, I think that the next step for Instagram, my guess is, is especially for reels, that you're going to see them do something to directly compensate creators because this whole sort of creator economy is exploding. And I think creators are going to go no different than any entertainment business. They're going to go wherever they can make the most money. When is LinkedIn going to have a TikTok version? I mean, well, they, they did stories. LinkedIn is anyone stories, using yeah. LinkedIn stories? I mean, I tried you were going to be early. I, you know, I did try it once and then I, I lost interest. <laughs> LinkedIn <Squirrel>. stories. <laughs> I mean, fleets is another one. Like the first day, I don't still know. See, Actually, it didn't that. even I get. Still, still, that's, still see people I see like doing three fleets. or four four of them yeah. every day now and i probably follow i don't know right, like next week, 650 I'm week. I'm or something fleet, people I'm, I'm committing to you right now i will do a fleet a day between now and our next podcast well, well i will tell happens. you one platform that is having a lot of success with stories though well there's actually two things i should Which mention one, Rich? pinterest is actually having a lot of success they're basically enabling creators to do stories and so different types of content is flowing onto pinterest video more video content and we actually had Taboola. We did a light shed live earlier in the week, and they talked about how they're doing Taboola stories. It's really the first platform that's enabling a stories-like function for the open web. And so, maybe it's not working really well for LinkedIn, but I still think that the stories format we're continuing to see build into more and more platforms where it clearly is working, or at least I mean, where it was, has potential. It he fits very, on some platforms. I mean, he was pretty bullish about that. Is how people are going to consume content. Um, going forward. So maybe maybe LinkedIn needs to do something where just the regular posts, they put them in a format where it kind of feels like TikTok to keep people within within the LinkedIn app. So it's not necessarily replicating, creating new content. It's taking the existing content and reformatting in it in, in a more TikTok-like um, user interface. But not all platforms are successful when you try to copy an existing platform, as we've learned over the last few weeks, that not everything has to be it's successful. Like the, the whole episode is uh, trying to flow. I'm working on flow. I'm working on flow. So we, ha- we want to celebrate an anniversary it. to our podcast listeners. This is the three-month anniversary of the following tweet from Maria Bartiromo. This is the same group who abused power in 2016. I will be leaving soon and going to Parler. Please open an account on Parler right away. That was three months ago. She's still tweeting. Three months ago today. She's still tweeting. In the interim, she used to tweet her, and it was in her um, profile, her Parler 
username and then every every tweet she had she would include her parlor username and say join parlor those no longer appear in her tweets it's no longer in her um, profile picture um and she's obviously, got deplatformed and she's well, parlor, do, parlor doesn't have a ceo <laughs> parlor doesn't have parlor a ceo also this week did lose their ceo apparently their funder i don't know what the issue was but the ceo is now gone and many of these people are now getting sued by um the voting machine company that <laughs> that was um i guess um allegations made against them that they are think are false and now we'll be suing some of these people so interesting three months very interesting three months okay so let's go interesting so we're going to go to our, our last slide, uh, which ties to um, I'm sorry, is, is this? Jump it to it. This is the last slide. You know, so, it, w- of course, blackouts are nothing new. What's interesting here, direct TV subscribers in the Seattle area will not get the Super Bowl on KIRO 7 CBS. And um, this is because Cox TV stations is in a carriage dispute with direct TV. What's a little interesting here, just in terms of personalities, is the person who ran um, Dan York, who ran pr- distribution at DirecTV and handled all the programming deals, is now in charge of the Cox TV stations. And so they're blacking out. The same executive is blacking out the former company or you know, battle hilarious. with his former company. So that's interesting. <laughs> but but sort of the irony here is that, like, I used to think that these were massive deals. The reality is in 2021, I'm not sure if it really is. I mean, think about it. Yes, DirecTV is blacked out in Seattle. You can sign up for CBS All Access free trial and watch the game. You can obviously go out and get an antenna, but you could sign up for a YouTube TV trial. You could sign up for a Hulu live trial. There are lots of ways to get, um, you know, to get the game. Um, I don't know. It, it just seems like if you wanted to sign up for CBS All Access, click a button and watch it over the Internet. It's super simple. And, uh, you know, it's just what is it? Seven or over the air. Yeah, but $7 a month for CBS All Access just seems like a a no-brainer as a way to fix this. And so the kind of the impact of the blackout doesn't seem like it used to. I mean, I know it makes lots of noise, but it it just sort of surprises, you know, I guess it never surprises me that we keep seeing blackouts. Obviously, everybody wants higher and higher rates. And the point of the problem is there are more and more ways to get this content outside of the bundle. And so the the impact of losing the content for DirecTV would seem less threatening to direct TV than it might have in the past, because there are easy ways for fans to get this content away from the bundle, which speaks to the larger problem of like the bundles collapsing on itself. And that's why, I mean, Comcast came out this week and said, they're going to lose a million eight subscribers in 2021. Good luck. Cord cutting is going to have a very rough 2021. Investors don't care right now. They're going to care because cord cutting is certainly not gone because all of the content that we've been talking about this whole podcast and all of the other forms of entertainment are eating into TV watching time. So, uh, but I Wait think. So, did you say the Super Bowl's on CBS this year? That's great. It is. So, no Why Joe do you Buck. say that? That's amazing. <laughs> A Joe Buckless Super Bowl, it could be the best ever. So, who's announcing it? Is it Tony Romo? He's CBS, uh, right? It has to be Tony Romo. That's yeah. awesome. It has to be. I mean, never liked him as a cowboy for obvious reasons. Well, yeah, I think we were aligned on that one. You won't you see me as an Eagles fan of me as a Giants fan. Romo's uh, announcing. Over but we do have a special, Brandon. I think you have to tee this up. We have a special the video, great, the greatest, video clip. the greatest video ever associated 
with the Super Bowl game besides the game itself, the 1985 Bears Super Bowl shuffle. Hit it. We are the Bears, shuffling crew, shuffling on down, doing it for you. We're so bad, we know we're good. Everyone who's not watching is missing Walt's dance, by the, by the way, right now. Look at, look at those shuffles. Damn. We're not here to start no trouble. Walt is well, now disappearing. And I like Load the, the desk. Running the ball. Little like Walter Payton popping his head back he up. Popping side camp. to side. This is my life to win. And tails for the win. Always go with tails. I think tails has been like five of the last six I want to play the whole thing for Okay, everyone, if you want to see it, www.youtube.com. You can also download the app.